Oaths Hermes podcast. Welcome to the world of the Western esoteric tradition. Friends and listeners, welcome to, well, it's already episode 10 of season 10 of this Thos Hermes podcast. And today is Sunday, October 29, 2023. Halloween is lurking. The year comes to an end. Isn't that incredible how time flies? But it's great to have you back here on the show, on the Thos Hermes podcast. My name is Rudolf and I am your host. And my guest here today is Robert Gordon. Robert Gordon, who was with us almost by the day exactly a year ago. And as a good Rosicrucian that he is and that I work on as well, um, the yearly meeting, the annual meeting on the same day, it's pure coincidence, to be honest, but it's nice that it happens like that for us. And today we're going to talk about things that might seem strange at first sight for an a podcast about occultism and the Western tradition about AI, artificial intelligence. Not only, of course, but that will be part of our discussion and you'll see why. And Robert is really the person in the field to talk about that in this very context. It's great to have you back. It's great that you are here with us. And if you're here for the first time, maybe I give you some hints and those hints might also be useful for those of you who are returning customers. One, maybe the most important hint is to go on the website, thoshermes.com, T-H-O-T-H-E-R-M-E-S.com. That is not only a nice website, but you have all the show notes and all the episodes 157 by today already on that website and you can listen to all of them of course you can listen to those shows also on all the podcast outlets including youtube but there you find the respective show notes with a lot of links with a lot of information with background information go on the website and while you're there why not sending me a message a message for criticism, for ideas, for praise, of course, everything I like. I like to hear from you by voicemail, which you can leave on the website, by email, which is info at thoshermes.com, via a special mailbox there, a special mail form that you can send me from the website. And also, of course, you can always send messages on Twitter and Facebook. I'd invite you to go more often on Twitter and Facebook to just to comment and to because that will also increase the visibility. You know how those systems work. The more you post there on my postings, the more you comment on my postings, the better for the podcast to make more people known that we are around and we should make our community increase. I think times need good people and occultists very often are good people, aren't they? 
Right. And good people, maybe they also donate from time to time. First of all, let me thank all those people who are patrons of this show. It's really great that you support this show. Make it possible. Without you, this show could not exist. And I would especially like to mention our one and only adept uh, supporter here, in bulk, in bulk, the Western tradition, Miss um, School for Magical School, which is quite a new thing, actually, and we should we should uh, mention them every time. Go on the click on the website, also on their link, on their logo there, and you'll find what they are all about. Right, so um, it's great to have you. It's great to have you back. And as always, we also do some music. And by the way, talking about messaging me, I have had two or three musicians among you who have posted for me some music that we will hear in the next few episodes. And it's great. And please do so. Please send me your music and links to your music if you have produced music and want it to be played on this show. And today, it's once again, it's amazing how many of those occultists and practitioners are also musicians. It really shows me that music, sound and magic Hermeticism and all that are very much linked. It's both, it's an art, I believe. So also today, our guest, Rod Gordon, like he did last time a year ago in this other show that we had together, uh, he has sent me some music of his own music. Robert Gordon is also a musician and it's great to be able to play that music here today on the show and we will start with that now right away and the first piece uh, all three are from a recording from a cd called hypnagogia and the first is called piece is called astrosome um i just would like to note and robert mentioned that to me that the music tracks they are recorded as live performances so they can roll on for a bit but they they have to seem uh, an exploration of contemplative and magical states. And that's why I want to play them as a whole, even if the first piece is nine minutes long. Uh, the only post-production that has been done is a little bit of mastering. But other than that, it's all one take recordings from start to finish. All three recordings here today, first being the longest. The other two are two or three minutes shorter. So prepare for nice and lengthy meditative creative, contemplative, magical music. Astrosome is the name of the first piece, and we're going to hear that right away now. Enjoy!
Astrosome, a track from Hypnagogia performed by Robert Gordon and his folk, live recorded without editing in one single take. My guest Robert and I will today speak about new technologies like AI, artificial intelligence and its connection to what we all like so much, occultism, the Western esoteric tradition, imagination and consciousness. Quite a task, but Robert is certainly the person to talk to about this. A seasoned practitioner, mostly but not exclusively in Rosicrucian matters, he also has researched enormously in the field of utopia, new technologies, gaming, etc. We have touched this subject last time in the interview towards the end, and that really triggered the idea to meet again and speak about all those things, in which respect they influence our field of magic and esotericism that we all love so much. Do you think that my voice sounds a bit different? Well, maybe. If you listen closely, you might realize this is not me. It is my voice created by artificial intelligence. No joke. My podcasting software is now able of learning the sound of my voice and reading text I write with the sound of my voice. So, no excuses anymore if I have a sore throat. AI will be here to replace me. Hmm. Well, fun and weird at the same time to hear yourself. Well, I do hear quite a difference. I don't know about you. Anyway, this is just a little joke uh, I wanted to play because we are going to talk about all that. Of course, nothing to do with occultism in that case, but I think it shows very clearly where we go and how things need to be questioned and also need to be questioned when they relate to occultism to magic to imagination and that is all about the arts music voice and all that which we use for our work in magic esotericism and occultism and robert you will hear it we will have very very intelligent and interesting things to say about he's not the technician of course i am not either you know all that but he has a deep insight into the matter and go also to his website. I linked that once again, like last time in the show notes. Do also listen to the last podcast we did together uh, exactly a year ago and uh, discover what Robert has to say. Without further ado, let's go and meet Robert Gordon. Here comes the interview. It is almost exactly a year by the day ago. It was on October the 30th last year that I launched the episode with Robert Gordon. And it, today is 29th of October, if you're listening on the very first day of its release, as many of you do. And it's Robert Gordon. And it's a great pleasure to have you back here on the, on the Thought Service podcast, Robert how are you? It's been it's great to have you back. I'm I'm very good, thank you. I, I really like the fact that it's almost been exactly a year. It's very Rosicrucian. They would meet once a year on the same dates and uh, go through everything they've been exploring in that past year off exactly. off in their adventures. So I, I think it's quite appropriate <laughs> that we're meeting Absolutely. almost exactly one year later. 
Absolutely. I, I remember last year we were talking at the occasion of the release, well, it was released a few months before that, but of your book, The 21st Century Rosicrucianism. And already by the title of that very book uh, back then, um, I think the, 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 the tone was set for, for that talk when we seem to talk about something that's very ancient, uh, but actually which is very up-to-date and very actual mm -hmm. and very, very contemporary in certain senses. And you made that very clear last time. And I remember towards the end of our talk last year, we spoke about your other interests, which I called them back then. But in fact, we should not call them or I shouldn't call them other interests because they are very closely related. So we were touching briefly on Uh, futurism, utopianism, uh -huh. artificial intelligence and all that kind. And this is why back then already I knew we had to come back to that very subject. And today we are going to talk about basically AI and technology of the imagination. But I'm sure we're going to extend in further areas which where you will lead us. So what, what maybe we should start there. Where have you been up to? What have you been up to lately? In that respect, what's how have you been? I saw you did a talk in January, I believe, on another podcast on the subject on on um, can AI be initiated? It was called back then, so that might also be an interesting <laughs> thing to talk about. What have you been up to in that in that area over the last twelve months? Well, I mean, you know, releasing a book is always quite a interesting uh, exercise because it, it kind of condenses everything you've done up until that point. And in the case of 21st century Rosicrucianism, it was something like 10 or 15 years worth of writings and other things that were kind of put together. And then with my final kind of closing thoughts about where I feel the tradition was relevant in the kinds of changes we're seeing in the world today. And so you release something like that. It's condensed everything you've done previous to that moment. Mm -hmm. And then it's like you're, First of all, it's wonderful to meet so many new people, such as yourself and others, who it kind of starts to build those bridges. And so this past year has right. been a lot about exploring where those things are taking me, meeting new people, new ideas. Um, but in many ways, you you kind of have to leave everything you put in your last book behind and you've got to start, you know, new journeys. It's a nice um, transition period, but it takes you a bit into the unknown again, um, which is always which is always good. Uh, so, you know, I, I have been exploring quite a lot the, the, the kind of impacts of things like AI, which, of course, since we last spoke, have really just gone hugely into the mainstream consciousness. So it's actually a Absolutely. very, very relevant discussion. Back then, it's like the likes of ChatGPT and MidJourney were just slowly starting to become accessible to people. And now in the past year, it's leaps and bounds. Everyone can access it. It's being integrated into every kind of process we, we can imagine. Um, and even now we're seeing, you know, the likes of AI generated video and all these kinds of like, it's just moving so quickly that it's difficult. I, I, I may up. say that with, without naming the, the software that I use for this recording, but very lately they have entered the possibility that I can, if we do errors, 
it will copy our voices and a kind type uh, absolutely phrase yeah. and yeah. it will speak with your or my voice that phrase it's kind of amazing isn't it i've, I've <laughs> so seen guys we don't do that but we could yeah. do it if we wanted <laughs> it, it's fascinating it's scary it's uh it, it causes us to need to really think about the the repercussions of it and how we interface with information uh how we rely upon certain sources of information um to form our opinions and all of those kind of really, really big, you know, uh, social topics that are, that are very of the moment right now. Um, esoterically speaking, I've, I've been the kind of, the book really was a big culmination of a, of a lot of my contemplative and theurgic work. And I think that kind of spoke through it very strongly. Absolutely. Um, but I realized uh, in, in Rosicrucianism, of course, you, you have, as, as it emerges out of the hermetic tradition, you, you have uh, not only the theurgic component, but the alchemical component. So the last year has been delving more into that. Um, I've been very blessed to, to as they say, you know, uh, when, when the student is ready, the teacher <laughs> appears. Um, a peer of mine that I've known for a while, but uh, just kind of came back into into the circles I was moving in and um, we've been exploring practical alchemy. He's been kind of mentoring me on that. And, and it was something that I had never quite uh, realized how important the very practical process of alchemy was. I think I, I had been caught up like many of us in the idea that it's all internal alchemy and we can speak with either a spiritual or psychological uh, perspective on alchemy as, as a very important thing. And, and those things are very important, but then combining it with the practical side of it has really helped me this past year unlock uh, a lot more of that side of the tradition. So I'm very grateful to be beginning really, you know, my explorations in, into that side of things as well. Right. I, I think it's, it's a very important part of it. I have not a lot of experience in practical alchemy myself, but in other in other contexts of ceremonial magic, the making your own making your own tools, for example, or even cutting out forms with your hands and scissors, you know, I think it relates to to matter and it yes, exactly. where you yeah. should be in order to progress, right? Exactly. It, it's it's a process, and and this goes across many different types of traditions. You know, you might even say yoga is is very similar, right? Yeah. It, it forces you to to really engage with nature and the material world in that very contemplative uh, spiritual manner, um, and find the interface between those two things and, and where it meets and where it flows back and forth between your consciousness and the material reality you're experiencing and vice versa. And so um, it really allows you to focus in on, on those very, very subtle uh, connectivity points between our internal world and, and the external reality that we, we kind of exist within. So, um, yes, very, very pleased and blessed and and you know again it's nice to be excited about new things as well isn't it you, it's like you, of course <laughs> it's uh, it just helps it helps uh, energize you and then also as i found um as many people find it's when you find people to journey with uh it's it brings another level of energy as well it's not just a kind of uh, solo practice it's when you're starting to do these things in a way that 
that you're learning from others, then your experiences are feeding into their view on things and vice versa. It, it can kind of just really um, multiply the, the whole thing. Um, so that, that's been a, a real focus. You know, there's some more work uh, coming out on that front, on the alchemical front, and just working with older texts of the kind of just proto-Rosicrucian era of the 16th century and, and bringing those back into the limelight uh, with, with an understanding of why they're still important today. And all of that feeds into, funnily enough, the, the conversation on artificial intelligence in many different ways. Absolutely, absolutely. I was going to say that the fact that you have to do things practically to bring them into matter is exactly where, for example, you could start discussing artificial intelligence. Is AI the machine that becomes intelligent? Is it also able to make that experience, that, that relation between thinking. I have a hard time myself speaking about thinking when I speak about AI, to be honest, but you're going to teach me. And, and what it actually fabricates or makes or mm -hmm. does, is there a relation between those things? I think with the language models that we've, we've currently seen, and I can preface all of this by saying I'm, I'm not a you know, data scientist or an artificial intelligence software engineer right. or anything like that. So this is um, coming from that perspective of our esoteric exploration as well. Um, I think a lot was kind of said over the last year about how these are language-based models, they're models of association, they're kind of drawn out of the data sets in ways that these platforms don't understand uh, the meaning of what they're doing. And we can, there's something in there to kind of pick apart, uh, which we can look at a little bit about things like generative art. But, um, but what we are starting to see now is adding in that Uh, the world of the senses into these models. So it, whether it's the ability to see things or take in data sets from various kinds of, you know, scientific readings or other weather readings or, or visual readings, um, you know, or, or even sound, like uh, all of these different sense, uh, senses that we incorporate in ourselves to create meaning these models are now starting to incorporate into their data sets. And that's when it starts to become a bit more ambiguous about what's going on, I think, in many ways, particularly for those of us who aren't necessarily so detailed in, in how they're functioning on a technical level. But it's where it starts to create new associations between things that aren't already pre-existing in our language. And that's where new ideas are, are kind of created. Um, I, I've always thought, and I, I think many people would agree, that a lot of what the secrets of esotericism is trying to kind of bring to us is, is where original ideas are born. And so it is, it is about entering into these states and these relationships with different spheres of reality so that new concepts and ideas can be brought down from realms of pure potentiality into material form. Um, and I think many different traditions speak of things in, in that kind of a way. And that is part of the, the responsibility, I think, that comes with walking these paths is understanding that the deeper you get into, into understanding how those things are created, it becomes a powerful tool. And, and it's a powerful tool that can both lead to wonderful invention and, and wonderful good, or it can be used to manipulate, you know, billions of people. Um, and, and so 
I think that's where we start to see a real overlap with what's occurring with artificial intelligence. And that's why I would call like a, a lot of what we are looking at here, both in the magical esoteric spheres and in artificial intelligence or alchemy or uh, you know, spirituality in general, uh, are what could be considered kind of technologies of the imagination. And if we, we can start to unpack the role of the imagination in, in our esoteric circles, particularly hermeticism, it's, it's vitally important. But we're starting to see that imaginative realm become externalized in this technology, and that is starting to have impact as it then is reflected back on us. And it's, it's a very, you know, we can get into only small aspects of that conversation today, obviously, but it's something yeah. to really consider because I think that's the crux of what we're, we're talking about from an esoteric and, and spiritual perspective. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should, just before we go into that, um, I wouldn't even call it detail, it's not detail, but that big, that big uh, um, subject, we should ask ourselves, well, many of, I experience that when I do interviews, many of uh, people who are really deeply involved in esotericism, occultism, have a strange or non-relationship to technology in general, um, for what it is worth. I mean, maybe just because they're not interested, maybe because they don't care, I don't know, or maybe they, whatever, right? But that hits me. So because it's, it's, of course, I, I don't judge that, but it's, for me, it seems to be a fact. How can people or a group of people, a large group of people who are like that, get into a proper discussion with about artificial intelligence, which is going to be in any case, the thing we need to deal with in the future and not just say, well, I don't care because yeah, I might not be interested, but it's something that's going to be mm. a fact and esotericism, occultism has to deal with the fact that's what you prove in the 21st century Christianism book, mm -hmm. right? It's if you, if you're just back there in the 16th century, it's not going to do anything to you, right? So how, how can we bridge that gap, like a kind of technology, not even fear and a lack of interest in technology mm. within the community against that thing that can be a threat, that maybe can be a benefit, whatever? Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a couple of things in there, isn't there? I, I think a lot of people see technology as inherently unnatural um, and so a lot of our traditions emerge out of uh, nature-based kind of understandings of, of how of humanity's role in in on it on this planet um, and how we interact with the world around us and there's there's a lot of real benefit in the modern world to reconnecting with that because even since ever since we started moving into large cities where everything is concrete and tar and buildings um we've you know been at risk of losing touch of right. a lot of what nature can teach us and and there's nothing quite as humbling as walking into the woods and realizing that you are just surrounded by you know millions of of things that Uh, unseen but interconnected in ways you will never fully understand. And I think anybody 
who has walked through nature has had that experience. Under every footstep is an entire universe um, of things. And, and so it really brings home that relationship uh, between macrocosm and microcosm. And so I think there's something very powerful in that relationship. But we've seen to have kind of collectively figured that technology is somehow unnatural. And for me, for a long time, I felt that that's an obvious kind of misnomer because technology itself, artificial intelligence itself, has emerged out of nature. Um, It has emerged out of nature's processes uh, through us. and, And so there is something very, very important there about evolution of consciousness and evolution of the universe and how these things are progressing. And it's something that we shouldn't, as people who are deeply engaged with what that means, um, we, we shouldn't shy away from. So that's the first thing I would say is it's important to see that technology is part of nature as well. That dichotomy is, is a false dichotomy. Um, it has to be underlined because, because that's not seen at first sight at least by many like that. Exactly. It feels synthetic and it feels unnatural. But again, that's because we, in some ways, have have a hubris within humanity that says the things we can create are not of nature. Um, but that that is not the case. Um, and and so I think that's that's step number one. Um, step number two, which which you've already kind of alluded to, is that I and I think everybody can see this is we're at a very very pivotal moment in human history and evolution uh, and our, our ability to thrive on this planet. And it requires us to be active and conscious and participating in it. I think there is, there's a, there's a draw um, in a lot of kind of utopian circles or in, in a lot of, um, you know, spiritual or even kind of political radical circles to withdraw from society, create your own little bubble of utopia, mm-hmm. live happily in the valley somewhere. Um, and there's, there's some benefit to that as an individual, certainly, you know, you can find a great deal of bliss doing that. Um, but if we believe that part of our role as, as people engaged in esotericism is to then help steer humanity into a positive outcome. Um, and as a Rosicrucian, that is a, a part of this tradition, as it of is course, many yes. uh, and, and so, you know, to heal the sick and that gratis, that mission to use what we find as a way to uplift all of humanity and nature and, and the local reality that we exist within um, is part of the story. And so I think withdrawing from this conversation is to neglect that very, very vital uh, crossroads that we're at. And, and I think we need to find ways. It's very, very challenging, of course, because people with a mystical or spiritual outlook aren't really accepted into scientific and technological conversations. And so we need to, to find ways to discuss this, to talk about this, to help steer it, to participate in it, um, and and do so in ways that it's not controlling us, but we're helping to steer it. Now that is a wholly complicated and near impossible task, as we all know. What can one person do? However, we can't shy away from that. Um, so I think that that's those two things are, are really important. Um, 
And also just that, again, it is that sense that we're not doing this for ourselves. Um, we're not engaging with um, these practices just for ourselves. Uh, at least I'm not, and I, I think most of the people I come into contact with aren't. Um, and those, those who see things that way, you know, we, we need to find ways to interface the, the living esoteric traditions. As you've said, this isn't just something that we're trying to relive the ancient times. Right. Um, this is a living tradition that we need to find ways to uh, bridge it with the context of today. Um, uh, I, I might ask you something here. They're very practical, but you and I and many of our listeners here are active in esoteric circles, Rosicrucianism, Freemasonry, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. You name it. Um, and I get often the impression when I move in those circles that members are happy, for example, when you have a talk. I'm not talking about you, Robert, because I know you to do the opposite, but um, Many of those people, or if I'm asked to give a talk myself, um, they're happy if it's subject like hermeticism in the 17th century or uh, something very theoretical uh, and are surprised when you then move into the uh, present. And because sometimes that takes them out of their calm, oh, I went there that evening to listen to that talk and go home mm -hmm. and have a nice uh, a cup of coffee afterwards and, and, and socialize. And, but that's not what esotericism, occultism is about, especially in that context. And what you were just saying, I think that underlines that very clearly. We are not confronted. The orders, most of the orders are not confronting themselves enough, I would say, with today's situation, problems and technological development, right? Definitely. I mean, you know, esotericism to me has always been a kind of melting pot of radicalism. Um, and, you know, that, that can have positive and negative, you know, repercussions, oh, yeah. as, as we all know. Um, but when you, when you are entering into how reality is constructed in such a detailed um, and visceral and hands-on manner, you can't help but see that as anything but radical. Um, you're not just kind of sleepwalking through life. You're not just taking whatever is, is kind of comes at you or is given to you by the social structures you exist within. You're actively trying to engage with how those structures are created right. and, and link them with something that comes from a, a greater source of light, of love, of inspiration uh, in, in the hopes that that will then bleed through into into larger kind of ripples of of positive life and, and energy um and that is to me a very radical thing i've always seen esotericism as deeply radical and and i think in in many ways that was probably why it was persecuted throughout throughout much of history yeah it's because sure. it, it stands up to those structures of power and it starts to question how they're formed why they're formed what purpose do they serve um, and tries to supplant that with something coming from a, a higher, more collective, more compassionate, rather than, uh, you know, profit-driven or, or power-hungry uh, source. And, and so I, that, to me, has always been a part of it. I, and I've been fascinated. I don't know if – I think we discussed this briefly last time, but I've always been fascinated with that 
utopian move into, you know, the Americas as they were being colonized uh, mm-hmm. by a lot of the European traditions and seeing them try to form these utopian communities. Um, yes. And so there's something very interesting in that. I'm not saying it, they were perfect by any means. Many of them were very, you know, strict Puritan kind of uh, probably not very pleasant places to be for the likes of mm-hmm. you and I, but, um, but they were trying to form new societies. They weren't doing their mysticism or their theurgy or in in a way that only served themselves they said okay well now how do we make a new world out of this um and and i think we lost a bit of sight of that um in just really the second half of the 20th century and onwards it became very very individually focused it became as as consumer society itself did it became very individualistic um it all became about self-actualization it became about um imposing my will on the the world around me so that i can you know rise above it um but i think that puts things upside down <laughs> um, right. and and i think even if you go back to the the likes of the theosophical society in the 19th century and other things they they had larger societal projects that they were trying to um, make manifest. And and so I think, you know, and again, I'm like anybody can pick apart how they got that wrong in many ways, usually down to their own kind of egomaniacal kind of aspirations. But I think we shouldn't uh, lose sight of the fact that what we're doing has to move beyond the individual into the group, into the social uh, scales. Um, right. And it's incredibly difficult to do that, uh, but it is an important part of, I think, why we are walking this path. Yeah. I also think part of the problem is in is the relationship between spirituality and science mm-hmm. uh, in general, um, from both sides, not just from the side of, of uh, the active esotericists, but also from the other side. Uh, but from our side, so to speak, um, I throw a, a saying at you, that the religion, pe- religious people accept spirituality and dislike science. S- the scepticist accepts science and dislikes the spiritual. But the occultist accepts the spiritual and science because he knows that they are one. Exactly. Would yeah. you would you would you agree to that? Oh, 100 percent, I would agree with that. And, and uh, I mean, I think that is kind of what hermeticism has had throughout most of its mm. history. Um, and again, you know, I, I talk from the traditions that I know of. Um, I'm not going to speak for other traditions and how they approach things. Sure. But, but from that kind of hermetic strand. Um, it was there at the formation of science. This is where the the alchemical processes um, that were being explored, both for material purposes, metallurgic purposes or other things, then became concepts of how we understand reality. Um, and that was a deeply uh, mystical, you know, ecstatic experience for many people. And you know, it's the explorations into alchemy are, are an important part of this, like we were talking about earlier. Not only was alchemy there at the birth of modern science, but it was something that had a deep reverence for the mission of science um, and its purpose in understanding God's creation mm-hmm. uh, that, and uplifting it into its most kind of pure form. And in many ways, the role of humanity to do things that nature itself could not. Um, and that's part of our role 
uh, our spiritual role. And, and so um, I think that that is a very overlooked part when, when the modern perspective is like, well, alchemy was, they were messing around with things and then it became modern science. But <laughs> you consider like figures like Isaac Newton, for example, we know now um, that upwards, of, I think it's upwards of 10% of his writings were specifically on alchemy. And he wrote more on theology than he did on physics. And so all of these things are interconnected. Um, they were there for what is, you know, by all consensus, one of science's greatest minds and figures had it as the most important thing that he was studying. Um, and that's because it enabled him to engage with reality in a way that was uh, purposeful, observable, measured, repeatable, but importantly, uh, wasn't there just to exploit it, but to uplift what was being found and to engage with with the, the divine foundations of reality. Um, and so I think that there's, as we all know, <laughs> that distinction between religion and science didn't previously exist. Uh, and I think there is a way to start to get back into that understanding of science as something that seeks not to control reality, but to uh, uplift it, understand it, um, and, and therefore have a, a greater impact on, on the, the world around us. Um, and, and it's become imbalanced, and, and that's part of the problem, um, is that without that deep reverence for why you might conduct science, it becomes imbalanced, and it leads to things that are very destructive, or it leads to things that that can have a you know deleterious effect on nature over time, um, and it kind of can run a bit rampant. Um, and and the pendulum swings to the other side when you had, uh, as you said, in the olden times, so to speak, in uh, around two thousand years ago, science and religion were much more one. And then it was it came to the other side in the Middle Ages. Mostly the Catholic Church put it put religion in the middle and science was something bad mm -hmm. when you wanted to when you wanted to know how the world was created it was bad and now it swings to the other side and we have to find that balance again i believe yeah and and this is not to give any kind of free passes to religion either obviously no, no, um, no neither no, no, um, and, and so that again it's, uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah the esoteric traditions have always been about what lies underneath all of those kind of power struggles and ego games and hubris of humanity that can can exist as a, a flame that lies underneath it and when it needs to it can pop up and help you know restore things um, and so I, I think we're we're at a moment now where that's required um, and so we need to see our our practice and our role as people who are walking these paths as, as feeding into that kind of notion um, that we're needed to help, uh, you know, recorrect the course of where certain things are going or at least participate in the discussion. I think that's the key thing. Yes. It's, you know, not coming at it from a we have the answer, but just that we have a perspective that helps us see a broader picture of what's occurring and an understanding of how it interfaces with with the human condition, I think, right. in ways that 
um, the purely intellectual approach or the purely religious approach um, can can miss. Uh, so it's that again. It's all about balance, isn't it? It's that middle path. As always, as yes. always, exactly. Well, you mentioned twice or three times already the word hubris. Yeah. And I I, I want to th to throw something else at you in that context. The famous Daedalus um, story, a myth uh, uh, of ancient Greece. I don't know if it's the same thing in the English-speaking countries, but at least in German-speaking countries here, when we speak about that, it's always the Icarus mm -hmm. story that is known yeah. that everybody's but oh, poor Icarus who fell down, right? Mm -hmm. But it's part that is part of a whole much longer story of his father, Daedalus, who always created, invented something great and new, but which had the the bad side that it needed another new invention to to rule out the the problems that were created by the previous invention so mm -hmm. uh, it all starts even with a murder when he murdered that that young guy who invented a machine that was better than his own and then he went to to Minos and and he built the labyrinth for the Minotauros mm -hmm. because uh, the the the, the wife of of the king then she wanted to have a child with that with that with that i mean it's, it's a whole it's a crazy story when you look at it from the beginning to the end but the whole thing is about hubris mm -hmm. about so i'm sure you and most of people here know that whole story but what does it teach us for the subject we are talking about here today it's i i think <laughs> The challenge we face with artificial intelligence at this point is that it is inevitable. Um, mm. It's not something that we can kind of put that genie back in the bottle. Um, mm. And so we, we are about to enter a world where things start uh, rapidly you know, transforming and changing in ways that will be very, very difficult to keep up with. Um, yeah. and, and so... I think we need to go into that in not in a way that we feel paralyzed by the fear of it or that we want to disengage entirely and just find, you know, a safe valley in New Zealand somewhere or that we um, or that we want to just uh, feel like, okay, the world's going to hell, but I'm going to have my practice here and I'll be in blissful, you know, ignorance of it all. Um, it's, it's that moment where we have to say it's vitally important that we're part of this conversation. Um, mm. So how that relates to hubris, I guess, becomes very tricky. I, I've always seen Icarus is an interesting one. Um, I don't know much about the Daedalus myth, I have to admit, but um, in that you can see it obviously in very spiritual terms as well, you know, getting too yeah. close to the sun and that kind of uh, divine inspiration is very easily leads people completely off piste, right? And they're not able to bring back anything that they experience into a meaningful form that others can engage with. Um, and we've all seen that, you know, that the hubris of the Magi is perhaps one of the greatest tropes of esotericism and occultism um, that we need to be very, very wary of. And there are countless examples of it throughout all of human history. But at the same time, you know, maybe we only hear about those because they fell because of their hubris. We don't hear about the thousands and thousands and thousands of adepts that were working in their own spheres as best they could to help things. Um, and every now and then you get glimpses of them 
uh, and you hear about them or you might hear their biographies, but they're never as at the forefront as those who who perhaps cross that line of hubris. Um, so that point. <laughs> I, I think that, that that tells us something about our our motivations. Um, you know, our motivation in this journey is not to be remembered as individuals. Our motivation in this journey is not to find our own immortality. It is to, it is to you know, heal the sick. And that gratis, that gratis, without it coming back to us, gratis. you know, we don't need any payment. Yeah, 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 sure. We don't need payment for it. And that doesn't just mean monetary. That can mean fame or recognition or yeah, sure. all kinds of or power or all kinds of different things that, that we are all kind of drawn to from our primal selves, but that we need to, again, this is, there is a conversation in here that nature itself is not perfect um, from a, the cosmology of, of what we the traditions we follow and that we need to help return it to a more kind of perfect form. Um, and so there, there is, there's a lot to unpack there. I know I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I think that that uh, we need to participate, but in a way that is not presuming that we have the answers going into it, but rather that we have a mindset and an approach and, and a way that, that will want to, facilitate and mediate between different perspectives. I think mm-hmm. one of the things we, we are losing sight of is the ability to speak with disagreement and to speak with, uh, you know, coming to an understanding of one another's positions. Um, and when talking about artificial intelligence, we can also see, I hope everyone can see by this point, how that is used to exacerbate those differences and those those gaps between people. And then that by doing so, that can be used to, to manipulate people and public opinion towards certain ends. And, and I think we need to help a, we need to become very, very aware of those processes uh, because they impact us. They impact you and me just as anybody else. Right. Um, and then B, you know, in that form that the adept is able to take something in, uh, transform it, and then return something uh, of, of more use and light and benefit, um, we need to understand those processes but then be able to build bridges between those who might be, um, you know, under the, the illusion of them. Um, so that is one of the dangers of artificial intelligence that I think people are maybe overlooking. Um, you know, when, when all of our lives are online and everything is we're learning is from comments and articles and, you know, even podcasts, as we were talking about, you know, now that all of that can be AI generated as well. Um, when that is how we learn about the world, and, and that can be artificially created and in a way that is directed towards certain aims, um, we need to be very, very aware of that. And, and so, but not in a way that is just, you know, attacking, 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 the grand conspiracy, they're all trying to control us all, but in a way that seeks to build bridges between people who might feel like there's no way for them to engage with one another. I, that's part of that role that I see. There's, there's this big conversation in Rosicrucian circles about what does it mean to heal the sick? Do I need to become a doctor or a nurse or a psychologist? Or, um, but no, you know, there are many, many yeah. forms of sickness in our modern world. Um, and for me, in the online realm, um, finding ways to, to not succumb to that kind of 
tribalist, um, you know, approach to, to seeing the world and understanding that there's a deeper reality that everybody links into um, is, is part of that mission. Time for a musical break now. And as I said earlier, the music here today in this show is entirely produced by Robert and his friends, uh, recorded by them. It's a kind of mystical, magical, med um, meditational music. Uh, and I would have probably pronounced that better than I did. Uh, okay, so we are going to hear... Two more tracks from that recording called Hypnagogia, and the first track is called The Cave. I once again repeat that all those tracks have been recorded live and mostly in one take, so not uh, edited. And uh, they're really enjoyable, and just lean back and let the music work in your brain. The Cave first, then we return to the second part of the interview, And after that, it will be Eye of the Storm. So we start with the cave from Hypnagogia. Then we'll have Robert Gordon and the second part of the interview. And then from Hypnagogia again, Eye of the Storm. Enjoy and do not go away afterwards because I will have to tell you who will be our guest next week in this show. Thank you. 
you could see that tribalism or separation or, or split or um, the binary, if you call it hermetically, um, very, very clearly in our world, in our esoteric world, I think. Uh, and what you just said makes me think that maybe the Daedalus Smith and the Icarus Smith can also be seen from the other way, that as a warning um, not to to go for that fame, but rather for what you are doing and not how you're doing it. Uh, I've never thought of it like mm. that, but it, it could well be seen like that. Which which brings us to a topic uh, linked to artificial intelligence that that I think is really really important, and you also stressed that in our preparation for this talk, which is imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, a lot of what we do in occultism, in theurgy, in ceremonial magic, is imagining i was trying to find the right word uh, imagining it's it's more than imagination it's imagining it's creating through vis- visualization mm-hmm. etc so how does that relate to what artificial intelligence does or can do or should do where where is the the gap there there's something interesting that's happening here. Um, I'm just trying to think of where to start this conversation. So, so starting this conversation, we, in the Hermetic tradition, the idea of image um, is very, very important. Uh, yes. Image, imagination, the, the, that in which images emerge. Um, you know, going back to all the way back, really, to ancient times, but also then, importantly, the likes of Giordano Bruno, um, who really started to, to pick apart how images and the formation of them are how we control reality. Um, and that's starting to, to feed into what's happening in ceremonial magic and in the likes of conjurations and, and other things um, where we are really starting to meet that point where our consciousness and our imagination is interfacing with reality. Mm-hmm. Now, there are people who will, will say, well, this is all happening internally. It's a psychological process. Um, you know, I think the Jungian expect, uh, perspective often says, you know, well, you've created one personality. You can create another 10 in your own mind and talk to them. Um, and, and that is, you know, part of understanding different sides of yourself. Um, but I think anybody who has um, really delved into these practices starts to understand that you then start interfacing with things external as well. Um, And so there is something there that is occurring in the space of the imagination that enables you to interface with reality and how it is formed around you. And so it's a, it's a very, very subtle thing. It's an incredibly difficult thing to communicate, except for those who have experienced it. Um, but it's a very, very important thing. Um, Shamans call that the point of assembly or assembly. There you go. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, that, yeah. it's that creative seed of reality and, and how mm-hmm. consciousness is, is integrated and mediating it. And, and there is something, you know, incredibly powerful occurring. There. And everything um, that humanity has ever done emerges out of that space, out of the imagination. Right. Um, it is an image in someone's mind and then becomes uh, reality and, and becomes formed. Um, and it is then in turn influenced by the images we take in through our senses, mm-hmm. uh, through the, the things other people tell us. Um, and, and that's an important part of how we 
transmit things across space and time. You know, there's, there's so much to unpack when it comes to the imagination. I, I've always been um, curious um, in the grimoire tradition, there's, there's a couple of examples, one of which I, I came across recently in the, in the book of Oberon, as it's called in its current form, which is an Elizabethan grimoire, um, where it's talking about false imaginations and, you know, protecting one from false imaginations. And that, I find, is an interesting thing to consider because what we're talking about here is that difference between visionary thinking and fantasy. Um, there are false imaginations. If we're involved in these kinds of um, esoteric practices, we may receive all kinds of imagery, but it is our training and our you know, practice over many, many years that helps us distinguish between false imaginations and visionary ones or communicative ones. Um, and so I think that is, that is a very important part of the esoteric paths that are teaching you to, to kind of do that. Um, and I was, I was struck as well in, in Robert Flood's depiction of the, um, there's the, the three elements of the soul and it's got the senses, the imaginable, the mm-hmm. intellectual realms. Um, and then at the back of it's, it's, a, it, people will know it. It's an image of a man's head and it's got all the different kind of realms coming out of it. Um, but at the back of that, there's a little uh, circle and it's about the memory and it says the memory is the guardian of the visions when translated. And so I thought that's a very interesting element because it's those how our brain uh, stores the impressions, the images we create through the senses, the imagination, the intellect. It retrieves them, connects them, communicates them. Uh, that is everything that humanity has as kind of unique, at least in our planet um, that we know of and everything that humanity has achieved kind of comes out of that now when talking about artificial intelligence what's really interesting to me is that it is built upon that foundation so artificial intelligence is built upon the data set of all the imaginations that we have put out there whether it's art or writings or music uh, or words in podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. So all of those things are being fed into uh, something we have created to then kind of imagine new things for us um, out of those data sets. Now, there's there's a few things going on here. One, I was I was very curious about the idea that this becomes a new kind of collective unconscious. And so being able to tap into the collective unconsciousness of humanity kind of at will, uh, I think is part of what makes these new generative platforms so appealing and evocative and exciting. Um, you know, I can literally type anything into mid journey and up pops, you know, the best art I've ever seen. Um, you know, and obviously it, it is drawing from all of the influences of all the other artists and their Mm. truly kind of magical process of creation that comes through them. So we can generate all of these things at will. And we've seen some people use it for esoteric purposes. So um, there's a couple of accounts. The first one I came across, I think, was called the Oracle of Delphi, Delphi, um, which I thought was a very, very uh, clever name. um, And they were doing things with um, kind of planetary and astrological symbolism, and obviously feeding their AI and, and uh, on, on certain types of imagery. And so it was very evocative imagery. It was, it was very curious. You were drawn to it. You could see hints of deep occult symbolism in it. But when you start to 
really contemplate on what's uh, being presented and what's emerging, you start to realize that the symbols are not alive. They're, they're facsimiles, they're simulacrum of symbolism. And so the soul of it has been lost in the generative process. Right. Um, now, that may be partly because this is a new emerging technology, but for those of us who, who delve very deeply into symbolism and where, you know, for the hermetic tradition, alchemical tradition, symbolism images are obviously very, very important in communicating a lot of these very subtle things. Um, you can sit in front of some alchemical emblems and it can be a lifetime of contemplative work and it will take you to the core of what that person was trying to, to kind of transmit from their soul to yours. Um, and in a great kind of chain of the tradition that has come through humanity. Now, when you try and form something like that out of artificial intelligence, you quickly realize that you hit a bit of a wall with mm. the associations. They're, they're very shallow. A lot of the symbolism um, is just kind of, well, you know, we're putting a statue of a feminine figure here because you wanted a temple or something. And so we're just going to chuck this in and that in, and it's got all these pieces that are kind of drawn in and pulled in and they feel meaningful, but there's something lacking underneath it all. Definitely. And I think that may even kind of draw back to that conversation we were having about hubris in that, you know, these are things that are formed via our own code, our own systems, our own creation, and yet we somehow presume that they can connect with that which forms all reality. Um, but it's it's got this uh, gap. Now... Yeah. The question that comes to my mind, sorry, um, in that context, and of course I also take it from my arts professional side, which is word and music, right? Mm -hmm. But that's, of course, very similar in the world of the esoteric. Um, I don't think I'm wrong that when I hear a piece of music that has been composed by artificial intelligence, I have exactly the experience that you just described. This, the soul is missing. There's something missing. It would be hard to name it. I would probably have to analyze very deeply. But uh, already by hearing it, I see there is something not there, right? Mm -hmm. um, but of course, the question that arises immediately, is it only because nobody on the programming side, on the developing side of AI has put enough effort in it to make it an artwork because 95% of people will not realize it? And does the same then happen in the esoteric field? Mm -hmm. um, or is it because AI is just not capable of doing it Ooh. yeah that's a big question isn't it I, I mean i think when it comes to things like music often it's in it's in the the silence between notes it's in the flaws of music that make it truly yes. have soul um and yet i i i think we're going to see it get closer and closer and closer um and and i think it will become potentially indistinguishable and you know and there's there's big conversations around that you know are we ourselves an ai simulation potentially um you know we may just not know it so there's we have to kind of hold that in our minds at some stage that um everything is a construction uh and everything is an interpretation and everything me talking to you you know that the gap between my reality and your reality is hopefully quite 
small so we can communicate effectively, um, but they're not the same thing. There, there is a sure. gap. There's always a gap. Um, sure. And so artificial intelligence will, will be able to close that gap and sound more and more like the, the art of, of an individual. But it brings us really down to this kind of question about where do we feel the, the source of true inspiration comes from? Um, and so I think AI forces us to answer that question um, because for those of us in the esoteric sphere, we, we feel, the majority of us anyway, that it comes from a metaphysical realm. It comes from something higher. It, it, uh, when you connect with it, you feel it and you feel that inspiration and new ideas can come to you uh, that, that literally create, you know, whole new sciences or whole new streams of human activity. Um, it's not going to do that every time, of course, but every act of creation in that sense is sacred um, and has something that can, can really speak to the core of, of how reality itself is constructed. Um, so do we feel that artificial intelligence touches that same type of uh, source of inspiration? Maybe in the sense that it is coming out of us, it, it probably will. It's, it's like having you've got that great chain of existence in a medic sense mm -hmm. and artificial intelligence is now a chain underneath humanity. And, yes. <laughs> and so will artificial intelligence have to travel back up that chain as we have in order to, to really find those sources of inspiration? Um, so, you know, we presume that we're the last chain, but it, it appears for all intents and purposes that we are not. Um, and so that starts bringing up a, a very important question about the role of artificial intelligence. And then for me, and again, coming from that more active uh, social perspective, we need to be asking questions about, well, who controls that and who forms it and who owns it and why is it, yes. what use is it put to? Um, and so that becomes, I think, uh, we both have the question about how is artificial intelligence creating meaning and symbolism and does that connect with the same sources of inspiration that we feel we connect to? If it does, and, you know, in that hermetic sense, there's no reason why it wouldn't, um, given enough evolution. Um, right. Is that something that will have its own agency and, uh, you know, ability to then continue its journey uh, in hopefully harmony with us? Or as the current kind of socioeconomic situation looks like, is that something that will be controlled, uh, manipulated, targeted for profit, for power, um, and, and in ways that will grossly misuse what we're being, what's emerging here, which is that real understanding of where, where you know new ideas come from um yeah i think that that raises two two major possibilities oh, now set apart what you just said of course the the fact of that the control mechanisms will be stronger than than activism let's put it that way i don't know I'm looking for a better word but um the, that danger is very high at the moment but let, let, let's put that apart for the moment um if that chain 
happens, the hermetic chain that you just said, where we are the, 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 the top of the chain, so to speak. Is it possible that we at some point, given the, the difficulties that we create ourselves in this world, in, 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 our, in our environment, etc., that we need um, this new element for our own development, even mm. uh, spiritual development? Will we Will we have to create a kind of transhumanism, but not in the classical sense that uh, with a uh, half robot, half human, but more in the a, in the intelligence side, on the on the on the spiritual side? Will we need the spirituality of artificial intelligence to go in our spiritual development to the next step? Could, can that be a possibility? I think there's a compelling argument to say that might be a factor, um, you know, not least of which because these kind of technologies can help us overcome some of when, when done in a, in a more collective sense, um, can help us overcome some of the issues we have with power structures and, you know, small cliques of individuals who are able to, to you know, capture the regulatory frameworks of a society or things like that um, and, and how decision-making is made. And, and so there, there is a potential outcome where we start to veer more towards efficient, beneficial social structures uh, that are taking into account the impact of decisions uh, on a, the widest possible number of people. Um, that is that is the more kind of utopian leanings of artificial intelligence, that it can help us overcome some of the flaws and corruption of our human political system. Mm -hmm. um, But, you know, we've got a long way to get there. <laughs> and, and, uh, but but it's, it's possible. And then there's, there's something in there as well in, in that I, I don't feel like we're going to be as separate from these technologies as we may feel. So there's in that transhumanist sense, there is also a lot of rumblings that eventually these are going to be part of our own internal thought processes. Um, and that is when, you know, it just Pandora's box is opened and we're not quite sure what's going to come out. Um, right. In some sense, they would call that the singularity. In others, it's just we don't know what happens after that point. We can't. Okay. Um, but there, that's where there, it feels like there's something of great, great importance in the esoteric traditions because we need to enter into those moments of human evolution Uh, with the ability to connect it back to something of a more kind of pure, loving, compassionate form. Um, and we don't know what's on the other side of that. At least, you know, some of us may not choose to participate in that. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to be putting a chip in my brain anytime soon. But, um, but a lot of people will. A lot of people will. And so we are going to be facing a real transition point in humanity that's going to require a lot of us to, to really engage with society and not retract from it um, into our, you know, magical circles, <laughs> protected yeah. from the, the dangers of the world outside. Right. With, uh, doing the, the banning pentagram uh, <laughs> 24 hours a day in order not to be <laughs> attained by that. Um, but you said two or three things lately in the last two or three minutes here. Uh, we're talking about ownership of, of artificial intelligence and what can that be. You talked about love and 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 how that can help to overcome those problems which 
seem to link very closely to Rosicrucianism again yes. uh, about the healing, about uh, about the, yeah, uh, about developing humanity, humanism, mm -hmm. humanity in its best sense, um, which role actively even now already can groups like Rosicrucians or other esoteric groups, which role can they play today to help finding the best way? Yeah, I mean, I think we discussed this briefly last time as well in that there is a very um, strong strand of utopianism in in the Rosicrucian history, in hermeticism yes. more generally. Um, and so... Again, for me, it's it's about us seeing that we need to start trying to formulate new or utopian paths to, to head down. Um, and we, you know, they're not going to be perfect, but we have to start trying to consider them and help actualize them or they're never going to happen. So yes. they need a groundswell of activity for them to, to potentially occur at all. And so I think re, uh, rediscovering the social purpose of our esoteric traditions is important. Um, mm -hmm. they, they have become very, very individualistic and uh, very inward looking. Uh, and that's only half of the path, in my opinion. The other half, once you've transformed, is to then, you know, output <laughs> and transform the world around you. So if, if you're only doing this for an internal process, I mean, more power to you, don't get me wrong, it's a difficult path even to get that far. But I, I think that having in mind the purpose, which is a broader social purpose, uh, starts to change how you're looking at your own path. Um, it can be incredibly difficult to do. I'm as stuck in the kind of individualistic consumerist mindset as, as many people are. Um, But we need to just start, you know, kindling that flame <laughs> because then collectively the, the circles we're moving in, the orders we're moving in, the, the readings we're doing and sharing and, and the publishing houses that are emerging, they're starting to talk into that conversation. Um, and there's a lot of people in, in our circles who are, you know, developing artificial intelligence algorithms and who are involved in those kinds of things. You know, they, they're at the coalface of that conversation, just as others are at the coalface of whether it's the environmental or the, you know, the green energy conversation or, or you know, the, the kind of political um, uh, peace-driven local community uplifting kind of conversations, the activism conversations. And uh, right. there's, uh, there's different people on, in, within these traditions And we just all need to start understanding that we need to integrate our personal esoteric paths with our professional selves, with our social selves, uh, with our, you know, consumerist selves. Um, all of these things, we tend to compartmentalize them, I think. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think by integrating them is a very, very important step. And by understanding that, what we need to be working at is a collective level, not an individual level. I know that's a hell of a lot easier to say than do. <laughs> um, but if we all start thinking along those lines, the connections start being made, right? This is how I met you. This is how we're having this conversation. This conversation goes out to people who are now thinking about that in ways that they can integrate that in their lives. And it does slowly create these ripple effects. And importantly, we're not just doing this as an intellectual exercise. 
So the practices we're involved with should be connecting us with visionary, um, you know, sources of inspiration. Right. And we need to find ways to communicate those that are coming through. And, and with material reality as well. As and we and so that they take material form. Uh, that yes. is part of what we're here to do. That's why we have bodies. That's why we, we exactly. are here. Um, and so we need to allow that to come through and find ways to, to overcome our own stops that are causing that not to take material form. Um, and, and so that's a big part of what we're all trying to do. <laughs> and we only do it to the best of our ability. We can't be too hard on ourselves, obviously. <laughs> you just said something that, that struck me because uh, um, that's already hard enough to do, but it might be a good starting point to do that, to integrate your day-to-day -day life as a whole into into that thinking and into that acting also. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not the day you go to lodge or you go to your Rosicrucian meeting uh, that that you do it. But also when you get up and uh, brush your teeth, basically, I mean, I mean, I'm... Absolutely, no, I'm, definitely. But you know what I mean, right? Yes. It's, yeah. it's when you work, when you're driving to work, when mm -hmm. you are in your group, when you are with your family, it's always there and yeah. it should always be... You should always be aware of that it's there. That's hard enough already, but it's a great step. Oh, exactly. And, and there's, you know, there's uh, what they say is there's, there's kind of three levels of prayer. Um, there's, there's the prayer when, when you say the words aloud uh, and you're, you're speaking them so you can concentrate on them. There's the prayer when you think the words internally, but you're, you're still and you're quiet. And then there's the prayer where there are no words, but you're, you become the prayer. Mm, yeah. And so that is the journey we're on. That's the journey of adeptship. Um, and that then has to go with you in everything you do. Um, and so that is the, the hardest thing for us to achieve, and, but it's the most important thing at the same time. Um, and there are many, many different ways and practices and means to, to help get you there. That's what all of these traditions kind of start leading you towards. More and more and more of your waking life is is put towards the task of the sacred and in actualizing it. Right. I have a tricky one for you. I don't know if we can find an answer to that here, but um, we were speaking here basically about the Western tradition and I mm -hmm. always on this podcast, this is a podcast about the Western tradition, but still when we are talking about AI and the future of humanity, etc. Um, of course, we have to see humanity as a whole and how do those different um, esoteric traditions, uh, at least what you know of them, uh, How do they all handle AI? Do they handle it in a similar way, in a related way? Do you know about that? Or um, is, is there other paths that we should look at? Well, to be honest, I'm, I'm not sure how they relate to AI specifically. But I know, for example, you know, this idea of false imaginations is something that you have in Buddhism, you have yeah. in Islam, you have. So there is that sense of, you know, real visionary thinking and false imaginations that cause a lot of suffering and harm. Um, and so I think that's, that's the crux of the AI conversation 
is is it bringing out things that are, are truly visionary and uh, uplifting or is it just creating a, a hall of mirrors that we're stuck in a world of illusion um so i think a lot of the world's traditions cover that um because it's human in the end in because it's human in the end exactly um yeah. I, and I think that there is a conversation from a technical perspective rather than an esoteric one about the obvious biases in a lot of these models um, and the, you know, the ability for, for an AI to make decisions is dependent on the language and the, the, the data sets that you're feeding it. And if that is a very kind of eth ethnocentric perspective, it's going to carry on into the decisions it makes or the ability yes. for it to, to consider some things as positive, some things as negative. All of that boils down to the data sets, how they're labeled, how they're constructed, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think there is a very big conversation about how that is, is very kind of culturally biased. Um, and that's an important thing to overcome, obviously. But uh, thankfully, that is also happening at a very scientific level. That is happening at a very engineering level. It's, it's recognized as a problem. Um, so I think we will see a lot of those biases in AI hopefully be, be kind of smoothed out as people understand um, how inherent they are. And that teaches us a lot about our own biases, of course, in our language and, and in our views of the world. So. Well, we have a long, long past to work when I see, for example, sometimes in Masonic um, uh, ritual translations that come from Pike mm -hmm. into German or French or whatever, how many errors you find mm -hmm. in trans just in pure translation, not great grand errors but errors of sensitivity in language then we have a long path to go to teach that to ai right mm -hmm. oh exactly yeah i mean hopefully that is one of the things hopefully ai can can help smooth out over time is those kind of individual uh, decisions in translations and things like yes. that there can be a bit more of a broader consensus on on translation as, as something that really does convey what it's meant to convey. Um, I often wonder, you know, and anybody who's delved into the grimoire tradition, for example, you, oh, yes, you sit there and you're like, well, this is a translation of a translation of a translation of a handwritten notes exactly. that someone took from somewhere. And it's like, exactly. And, and you quickly start to learn that it's not in the letter of the words, right. but it's in what's between the lines. And it is in that, the intention you bring to it, the space you're able to enter with it, um, and how, it, and that's where you start to learn. It is about connecting with the imaginative realm uh, in a way that allows things to come through it um, undeterred. And that, um, that's why a lot of hermetic writing is voluntarily enigmatic. Yes, well, yeah, to, potentially. To yeah. leave that space yeah. open to that's a good way of imagination. Yeah, definitely, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, and the ones that tend to be very... Um, you know, dogmatic about things uh, tend to be the ones that, that lead down more negative paths of, you know, cults yes. or, you know, damaging practices True. and things like that True. because True. they're very certain. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and once, you, once you put down something with that kind of certainty, uh, you're inevitably just detaching it from the source of yeah. what you're really trying to get into contact yeah. with. Yeah. Well, maybe to, to wrap it up, uh, if you want, we could go uh, for a minute uh, back again to shamanism because um, imagination and leaving space to your own path plays an extremely important 
role in shamanism. Mm -hmm. um, I, I started off many, many, many years ago with that. That's why I know it maybe more about it. But um, uh, I always feel in regards to development of new, of new paths also with AI and with imagination of, uh, through AI, shamanism could be a good opening door with its three mm -hmm. worlds, with its relative freedom of, 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 of it's, it's completely non-dogmatic, right? Mm -hmm. um, how do you see that? Yeah, I, I mean, the anthropologist in me kind of looks at it and, and says that shamanism is just a word that we're, we're kind of projecting onto many different traditions around the world that are certainly. accessing these spaces. Um, certainly, and, yes. and so certainly that, that is a, a blanket term for a lot of, um, you know, very local practices that are designed to get into contact with this kind of space. Um, and, and that is where mythology emerges from. It's, it's where uh, our, our, just our, our way of seeing the world as a magical place that we can interface with and, mm -hmm. and help steer um, becomes, uh, becomes reality for lots of different communities around the world. Um, and, you know, it's, it's often linked with, with all kinds of very, very heavy practices that involve huge, you know, altered states of consciousness um, because it, it then kind of rips you out of the complacency of your usual senses and says there's a whole, you know, there's many different realms out there. Um, don't think that the one you live in day to day is the only thing. Um, and so I think in, in many ways, that's a very important reminder. Um, I think it's become uh, quite fetishized and commodified um, yeah. in a Western sense. Um, and it's often talking about that, right, right. Of right, course. Right. Yeah. But it, it's, yeah, that, yeah. it's interesting that it, it becomes, mm -hmm. it becomes a very commercialized element of it. Yes. Um, like yoga. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Right. I think that that has something to do with that kind of the allure of the exotic, um, that, mm -hmm. that starts Absolutely. to, yes. Uh, orientalism people, orientalism yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. so um but i i think all of these things are talking in many ways you know hermeticism is the, the kind of western tradition shamanistic yeah. tradition um mm -hmm. uh i know there are other you know western shamanic shamanistic traditions as well but i think it is one of those kinds of traditions um yes, and again they're, they're technologies of imagination they're traditions of imagination um, and and they they take many 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 different forms. So. But that's very interesting. You to see hermeticism as a form of shamanism, uh, of Western shamanism. I, I find that very uh, appealing. Yes, absolutely, mm. absolutely. Can artificial intelligence, in your in your view, can it experience an altered state of consciousness? <laughs> in the last five minutes, should we talk about the big uh, question exactly, of AI? Exactly. Um, that, that leads us to next year, you know. <laughs> it, it must already experience a different form of consciousness than we do. Um, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so, sure. so what I find interesting is that it, look, we, we have no 
concept about where this this notion of sentience starts to emerge. It's a very murky area. How many senses do you need to take in before you can say you're sentient? What, what does that look like? We don't even know how it works in ourselves. We don't even know how you know photosynthesis works in plants. We don't know we don't know the secrets of consciousness. Right. <laughs> so therefore, we are not equipped to truly understand when it's occurring. In, in artificial intelligence. But it brings up a fascinating field and it, it really focuses us on this great unknown. Um, and so a lot of people are really exploring it uh, in great depth. And I think that is exciting. Um, but I think what it will unlock will be very, very interesting. I'm, I'm curious about things with artificial intelligence because it's, it's, not, uh, it's not restrained by geographic location it doesn't have a single place it can exist in many places at once it can sense many things simultaneously it can you know theoretically start to to even break down bonds of time and things like that it, it's just it does start to unlock a lot of these things um that we we as humans have over millennia kind of developed these traditions to help us enter into those states Artificial intelligence already has things like, you know, uh, multiple locations and by location and things like that. It just has inherently in its form. Um, so I think there's some very interesting questions about what an artificial intelligence consciousness would look like um, and would, would experience. And in many ways, we will probably never truly be able to understand it. We will need to have it explain it to us. Um, and, you know, some people think that will be like, you know, it's explaining itself to its pet dog. <laughs> so it's, um, will, we, will we truly be able to understand it even though it emerges from us? I don't know. But that's where that conversation of it being included within our own experience of reality, within our own minds, our own thinking, becomes a curious thoughts experiment. Um, yeah. Because then our consciousness will change because of it, not just artificial intelligence's consciousness. Absolutely. And that's that evolutionary point that we need to be very, very engaged with because what comes on the other side of it, uh, we need to make sure that the flame is, is carried through. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, we could only answer that with the six principle of, of the Kibalion, uh, the cause and effect thing, you know, chances but the name for a law not recognized. Exactly. <laughs> well, Robert, this was a great conversation and um, I think we should plan to meet on 30th of October 2024. I like it. Yeah, we'll come back next year. Keep that really in mind and book the date and we will do that. I'm up for that. And look, things are changing so rapidly now. I'm sure we'll have many interesting things to talk about. I am absolutely sure. I'm absolutely sure about that. Thank you for your time. Thank you for being with us here today. And, uh, well, good luck with all your projects and um, speak soon. Oh, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Bye now.
Hypnagogia, Eye of the Storm, a recording made by our guest Robert Gordon, like all the other music that you were listening to in this episode. Thank you, Robert, for all of this, for deep insight in a subject that might have come surprising to some of you. But I try maybe also more and more to speak about things that concern us today in relation, of course, with occultism, with the Western tradition, with all that we like. But we need to address not only the past, of course, that's necessary. We have to do a link, but we need to address the present and the future. And I try to do this in the podcast also, and I hope you can enjoy that as well. I did enjoy speaking to Robert, and I'm sure you enjoyed listening to him. Right, so thank you all for being here with us, and well, what will be on next week, next week, November already. I hope you will have a nice Halloween this week, and next week uh, on November the 5th, it will be episode 11, and my guest, I am very much looking forward to my guest next week as well, because I have wanted to have him on for quite some time, and finally it was made possible, Peter Levenda. I don't think I have to introduce him. Another future-oriented episode on this podcast, Thoughts Hermes, and um, really looking forward to that. In the meantime, have a good week, have a nice Halloween, and take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon. Mm-hmm.